Good evening, friends. Um, my sermon title today is called Upward, Inward, Outward. And as we read earlier, my text is found in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Do you want me to wait till it's put up, or can I just go ahead? Is that okay? Just go ahead. Awesome. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal, and then that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. I would like us for just one moment, just, just for a little bit, imagine being in the shoes or sandals of Isaiah. Imagine seeing this vision. Imagine looking up and seeing God on his throne. Imagine seeing that robe flowing. Imagine it. Imagine seeing those six winged angels flying there, but with only two, two wings flying. And the other two, they're covering their face, and the other two, covering their feet. Imagine the words that they're saying, holy, holy, Holy. I do not think it was God that made them say that or God gave them a strip and say, hey, say this. I think what was really going on is that the angels, the seraphim, they were in such awe and wonder at the sight and presence of God's majesty. And, uh, and the only thing that they could say, the only thing they can imagine saying is holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Lord of hosts. Imagine that every word that was spoken, the ground shook. And imagine that smoke. Now imagine how Isaiah must have felt. Just think about it. You know, we don't even have to think about it. He says it right here. He said, woe is me. I, in other words, he said, I am ruined. I am distressed. I am broken. I am in sorrow. I am a sinner. I am in deep suffering. And I am in a state of brokenness. What was he broken over? He says it. I am a man of unclean lips amongst people with unclean lips. Here is Isaiah, a prophet, a man who heard God's voice, a man who spoke truth to Israel, a man who can say was close to God, yet he said, I am undone. I am lost. Isaiah looked upwards and he saw God. He saw God's holiness and immediately he had to look at his condition, and he looked inwards, and he saw that he has fallen short of God's perfect standard. I believe at that moment that Isaiah saw how dark sin really was, how, sep how sin separated him 
from God. And I am 100% positive that there was nothing, absolutely nothing that was sweeter, that was cleaner, that was more refreshing than that hot coal that touched his lips, that hot coal that cleared his guilt, that hot coal that fixed his brokenness. So great that atonement was that Isaiah had to look outward. He looked upward, he looked inward, and he looked outward. And he wanted the people of Israel to experience that uh, experience. He wanted to, excuse me, he wanted to show Israel exactly who God was and how God, holy God was. Uh, I think at that moment that, sorry, can I get that water? Right here, too. I apologize. I think at that moment when Isaiah heard uh, the voice of God saying, who is going to go? He didn't have to think twice. There was no second moment. There's no second thinking. He said, here I am. Imagine, imagine if, you're, if you're teaching in a classroom. Imagine being, uh, seeing a young boy who wants to get his a teacher's attention. They don't just raise their hand, right? They sit there and they're just like, I'm right here. Just look at me right, right here, you know. I think that's exactly how Isaiah was. Here I am. Send me. I will go. Here I am. And oh, how grateful we are that he was sent. For up to chapter 6, if you read, Isaiah preached condemnation. But after Isaiah chapter 6, after he had this vision, he, in ev almost every single chapter after that, there was hope. Hope of a coming savior. Hope of a, of a wonderful counselor. Hope of a king of kings a suffering servant, and so many other prophecies that, um, that taught about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah looked upwards, and he saw God. He looked inwards, and he saw his fallen nature and how bad his sin really was. And after his guilt was cleared, he looked outwards, having a passion for all to experience that wonderful truth. I would like to show you today that through scripture, many men who were mightily used by God went through a similar upward, inward, outward experience. If we look in the Old Testament, we look at Moses, who was watching his flock and he saw a burning bush. Out of curiosity, he came up to it, but when he heard God's voice, it says in chapter 3, verse 6, that he was afraid. He covered his face. He did not look, for he's afraid to see God. At that moment, he beheld God's holiness. He saw God's glory. He was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because at that same moment, he saw how... Nice. That's so cool. <laughs> at that moment, he saw his own sinful nature. And if you read chapter, the entire verse, chapter 3 and chapter 4, you see that he was trying to argue with God, saying, I'm not the man that needs to go. I'm not good enough. Not me. Send somebody else. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And yet, God taught him, admonished him, taught him more. And for, towards the end, you see that he ran to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, please let me go to Egypt and see how my brothers are in Egypt. And oh, how Moses was mightily used of God. You guys remember the story that it was Moses 
who stood between God and Israel and actually stopped God from destroying an entire nation. That was Moses. He saw God, he looked at himself, and he wanted to preach and teach and admonish Israel. We already taught, learned about Isaiah. Now let's look at Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah heard God, saw his own sin and insufficiency, was touched by God, and went to Israel to show them how far they really were, away, uh, were far away from God. In the New Testament, we look at the story of Saul, right, who later became Paul. And he was mightily used by God, and most of the New Testament was written by Paul. We know the story in the beginning. He was going to Damascus. He saw Jesus. He beheld his glory. Right? And this is Saul who said, I am, a prop, uh, I am a Pharisee. I upheld the law to the letter. I did nothing wrong. And yet he saw his own sinful nature when he saw Jesus' glory. And for three days he fasted and was blind. And after three days he was baptized. And oh, was he mightily used by God. Through, through Paul, we, we read quotes like, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I preach Christ crucified, and we can quote so many different verses from Paul who, who was mightily used by God. I think if we look at the apostles, they all had similar stories. You look at Peter who denied Christ or, or James and John who were called the sons of thunder. Yet when they saw the resurrected Christ, when they saw Jesus, Scripture says that some doubted, some were confused, some were in fear. Right? But when they saw the resurrected Jesus, they saw his glory, they saw Christ, they saw their insufficiency, and on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with power. And did they preach Christ crucified? Did they start something that today, even now, we are celebrating, we are reading, we are learning, and we are glorifying God? And this is not only through scripture. I also want to look at several men in our times. I don't know if you guys know Jim Cimbala, Pastor Jim Cimbala, Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, when he first started out, he was being a pastor of two different churches. He says in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, that he finally saved enough money to go on a three or four day vacation. And for three, those three or four days, he sought for the Lord. And finally, he had a vision. He saw Christ. And after that, he came back and and he glorified God through prayers. And if you guys read his book, Fresh Friend, Fresh Fire, you can see how amazingly God used Jim. Uh, another man uh, that had a similar experience was D.L. Moody. He started his preaching crusades, um, but as one way on his road through, uh, on a road in New York, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says that I, I rented out a room for three days, and for three days he prayed, and for three days he studied scripture. And after that, he says, I wasn't on my, working on my own strength. It was power from God. He saw God. He saw his inner state. And then he looked outwards. And he wanted to glorify and praise God and to preach Christ crucified. Upward, inward, outward. A pattern that we see. And I think if we, as youth, desire to be mightily used by God, we need to, I don't want to say go through an experience, but we need to, See and desire to have a vision of God, to know our inward or to know what we are inside and have a passion to teach and preach Christ crucified. So let's look upward. What is looking upward? It is to see, to see God and to know who God really is. Friends, God is holy. 
We read that in Isaiah. We read also that in uh, Revelations chapter 4, verse 8. The angels also said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy. A.W. Tozer says, Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to the standard. He is the standard. Because he is holy, all his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9 says, The Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There is a stark difference between ourselves and God. I think if we put it in, in a line, right, if God is on this side, we don't put ourselves on that line. We're further, we're further down, much further down. There is that stark difference between ourselves. I think the best way to show this, to see God's holy standard is, is to look at the Ten Commandments. I'm going to ask several questions, and you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to, you know, do anything. Just, just think about it. Examine yourselves. Let's look at God's standard, the Ten Commandments. God says, thou shalt not bear false witness. That means thou shalt not lie. Right? Can you tell yourself, have I lied today, yesterday, before yesterday? Have I told something that just, just occurred from the truth? Lying. The Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not steal. It doesn't say thou shalt not steal something big or thou shalt not steal anything or thou shalt not steal anything small. It says thou shalt not steal. Anything that is not yours that you take is stealing. When we see it through that perspective, how many times have we taken something that is not ours? Stealing. Ten Commandments says honor your father and your mother. We talked about that today. How, much can you, how often can you say that I always obey my parents? Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not covet or be jealous of anything of your neighbors. Here's another one. I think if we look at every single commandment, all ten of them, we know, we know that we have broken every single one of them. There's God's standard. And we can't keep even ten of them. There it is, God's standard. Oh, how far away we are. We see God's glory. We see God's holiness. We see how amazing God is. Now let's look at ourselves. Let's look at our hearts. Let's look at who we really are. Scripture, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all are sinners. We are all, we are all sinners. In Isaiah, I forget what chapter, um, somewhere in the 60s, it says that even our good deeds are like, even our, good, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. Psalms 53 verse 3 says, they have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none that does not, that, there is none that does good, not even one. Are you broken over your sin? Do you see your sin? Do you see that that sin creates a chasm, a space between God and you? Do you see that sin separates you from God? 
Can you cry out like David cries out in Psalms 51? The first few verses, actually the whole psalm, but I didn't have time to read it. The first two verses, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. Are you broken over your sin? I remember hearing once, uh, again, going back to Apostle Paul. Right? When, he, when he first was converted, what did he call himself? An apostle, right? He's like, I am an apostle as well. Going through, through reading scripture, right, in the middle of that, his life, he calls himself the least of apostles. And then just going a little bit further, closer towards his death, what did he call himself? He didn't have the right to call himself an apostle. He called himself a chief of sinners. That was Paul who called himself the chief of sinners. And you see that the closer he got to God, the more he realized that his sin separated himself from God. And the more he realized that he wasn't as good as he thought he was. No, but the closer he got to God, the closer he saw God's holiness, he realized how, how, how I guess you can say, blacker his sin was. I don't know if blacker is a, a word, but you guys understand. Right? If I compare myself to somebody on the streets or a brother, I can say, I, I'm, I'm not that bad. Right? I don't do what they do. I do better. I listen to my mom and dad. I, I'm not that bad. But that's not who we're comparing ourselves to. We don't stand in front of God on the last days and say, I'm not as bad as him. What do we get compared to? God's holy standard. Right? And if we compare ourselves to God, then we really see how sinful we really are. And oh, how we need Christ. And you know what? It is what Christ did for us. That makes such a big difference. It is Christ. Not by my own good works. Not by something I did that saved me. It is Christ. Christ who came on this earth. Christ who lived a sinless life. Christ who bore upon himself my sin. Your sin. My shame. Your shame. Our guilt. He bore that upon himself. For what? So that I can have freedom. So that you can have life and life abundantly. This was Jesus Christ. Who said, if I wanted to, I can call a legion of angels, thousands of angels to come and save me. But he didn't. Why? Because he loves us so much. We can quote John 3.16. We can quote these verses. But God loves us so much. He died on the cross for us. And his blood, his body was broken and shed so that we can have life. So that we can have hope. So that we can have a future. So that we can stand before God. And according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is able to forgive us our trespasses and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us whole. Make us new. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Once we experience what that freedom is, once we experience what that life is, what do we do? We can only look outward. We can only look at the, the sinner and say, oh, God loves you too because God loved me. We can only look at that sinner and say, oh, how I want you to know what this is, what this life is, what this freedom is. If we look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Christ 
gave us an order, a commandment. We've experienced that freedom. Now we have a passion to teach and preach Christ crucified. In Sunday school, we teach and preach Christ crucified in an age-appropriate way. Whether they're three-year-olds, six-year-olds, or eight-year-olds, we want them to understand that they are sinners and that they need God's grace. In youth, I'm not here often, but I know you guys teach and admonish and preach Christ crucified in an age-appropriate way. We teach scripture. According to scripture, God says that if we believe, if we call upon him, we are saved. We can look at upstream. We can look at different ministries in the church, Saturday school. We can look at our missionary trips in Ukraine and in Russia, going to Mexico. We can look at our services. Our goal is to preach and teach Christ crucified to the young, to the old, every age, every person, so that they know what life is, so that they know what we have, the hope that we have, so that we can glorify and praise God and worship God. Now I want to ask, when was the last time that you sought after God's holiness? When was the last time that you fell on your knees and said, God, I just, I want to see your holiness just just half a percent, not even half a percent, just a little bit. When can I see your glory? When I see that, I actually truly understand what my sin really does. I truly understand how my sin separates me from Christ. And when was the last time you were broken over your sin? When was the last time you said, God, I need forgiveness. I feel as if I don't get forgiveness. Now, I will not make it to heaven. When did you have that, that desperate moment that you needed Christ? It didn't just happen once when you took baptism. It has to happen often. When you see Christ, you look upward to God. You see his holiness. You see how your sin separates you from God. You receive that grace. You receive that freedom. You receive that atonement. And when was the last time you looked at a brother or a sister or a sinner and said, God loves you. God died on the cross for you. God wants you to experience that freedom. When was the last time you looked at a little boy or a little girl and said, oh, child, God loves you so much. When was the last time you looked at your own brothers and sisters who you saw weren't doing something right? opened up scripture and said, do you know what the Bible says? It says that your sin pulls you away from Christ, but also says that Christ died on the cross to give you life. When was the last time we were passionate to teach, to preach Christ crucified? And I want to say, if you're not, if you're not passionate, if you don't look at a person and say, oh, they're going to go to hell, I need to tell them something. I want to say you don't know how bad your sin really is because you don't understand how holy God is. I want to admonish you today. Look up to Christ. Realize your own brokenness and teach and preach Christ crucified in an age-appropriate way. Let's stand up. I know in my life I... Especially as of late, I've been, I've been desperately wanting to be more broken over my own sin. I've been desperately wanting to understand how holy God really is. And to desperately look at a 
an unsaved sinner and be able to tell him with all sincerity, God loves you. I know if I want that, there's people in here at this moment that want that. And I want to encourage you in this prayer, just ask God, seek it. Say, God, I want to know how holy you are so I can be broken over my own sin, so I can understand what it means to be free, to have grace, to glorify and praise your holy name.